Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is Heather Thompson. She is an inventor, a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a licensed health and wellness coach and adventurer. And she joins me on the show to share her story of growing up in a small town in America and ending up in the bright lights of New York City, working with the likes of Jennifer Lopez, Sean Puffy Combs and Beyonce. Now, if I'm being honest, I learned about Heather when she was on The Real Housewives of New York. Longtime listeners will know it's my guilty pleasure. All reality shows, all Bravo shows are my guilty pleasure. And she featured on that, which was one of the hit Bravo shows, one of the biggest ones on that network, for three years. And via the medium of reality TV, it was always very clear that she was a very hard worker and incredibly supportive friend. Like, if Heather's got your back, you really do have a team behind you. And also endlessly optimistic. She was one of those people who would always try and see light in the dark or try and end an argument shall we say and just always try and find the positive and get everyone to feel good about whatever situation they were in so I started following Heather and found out more about her and her work ethic which is so impressive and I found a lot of symmetry between Heather's story and my own in terms of that uh, growing up in a small town I grew up in the rural countryside in the southeast of England and she grew up in the Berkshires uh, on the east coast and neither of us could wait to get to where all the action was. So in my case, it was London. And in Heather's case, it was New York. Heather has now over 25 years experience working in fashion, serving as design director for Sean Diddy Combs line, Sean John, and co-creative director alongside Beyonce and Jennifer Lopez to launch their fashion lines. She has also created the shapewear line Yummy by Heather Thompson, which is her own label, which was her own label. 
At her heart, Heather is a businesswoman and she also gives keynote speeches to Fortune 500 companies and features on various business panel discussions on channels like CNN, Fox Business and MSNBC, focusing on things like leadership, teamwork, trust and adversity. And even through the medium, as I said, of reality TV, you can see that those are where her strengths really lie. And one of the things that really struck me most about Heather when we spent our time together was via a Zoom call, we spent an entire afternoon chatting. It's just how helpful she is. I can imagine that if I dropped her an email and said, Heather, can I pick your brains about something? She's not the kind of person who turn you away or fob you off. She would give you her full attention. Your problem becomes her problem. And she'll be there every step of the way to help you hammer it out, which is such a lovely, really kind, supportive quality. So in this conversation, we unpick that work ethic, why she refused to quit when failures came her way, how she's learned to embrace those failures and use them to propel her forward how she trusts that when things don't go her way, it's because it's part of a much bigger plan and how turning 50 has changed her perspective on a lot of things, including how she looks after herself. We also discuss her podcast, In My Heart, which I've been, uh, she's been very kind to extend an invitation to me on. I have been a guest and the other projects she's working on, including retraining and going back to school to learn about nutrition in her new role as a health and wellness coach. The links to Heather will, of course, be in the show notes, but please do join me in welcoming Heather Thompson onto The Emma Gunn Show. Heather Thompson, welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. How are you? Hi, Emma. I'm so great and so happy to be here with you. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure. And I, we've just had a conversation. Let's just be really honest about this. I've just been a guest on your podcast. Amazing podcast. Tell us all about that and where people can find it. Thank you so much. So my new podcast is my only podcast I've ever had. So my new and only is called In My Heart. And you can find it on Apple and Spotify, anywhere you download your podcast. And I really, it's my favorite thing in the whole world right now. It really is my, I feel like it's a gift for me. And, you know, it's something that I wanted to do. I I talked to Andy Cohen about it. Andy Cohen and I had um, a show pitch uh, after I left the housewives. Um, I had an idea for a show and we talked it through and we built this great show pitch together. It never got picked up ultimately. Um, We just still think it should and it will, but in that, in, in that friendship, in that, you know, kind of evolution, we were talking about some of the things that I was looking for in life and some of the things that, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't get on the platform of the housewives or, you know, it wasn't, just wasn't the right match. And Andy really encouraged me to do the podcast. He, he was like, I really think that it's a, it would be an amazing thing for you. And so he encouraged me to do it and I set my mind to it and I did it. So in my heart is really about conversations with people that I have known or meet through my life that I find inspiring or I find full of wisdom that I can take with me on my own journey to help my own life and to help other people's lives and to help us understand the very complicated creatures that we are. <laughs> <laughs> and it's brilliant. I've, I've been listening to it and I absolutely love it. And actually you said something there that I find quite interesting. You said that we, you had a conversation with Andy because you were looking for something that maybe you weren't finding in any of your current endeavors. And let's just talk about what those current endeavors are. You are an entrepreneur, businesswoman, mother, like you have, you went back to school you are you you seem to be endlessly curious and so are you always looking for the next thing are you always Always. looking for that always i i 
I just never stop. My mind races. I really have a mind that races. And you, you and I have talked about medication. Party. We talked about medication too, <laughs> but we've talked about meditation. And for me, it was the unattainable, really. And now I've, I really have worked hard at finding what I call my meditation. I don't know if, you know, Gandhi would say it's meditation yet if I've arrived, but I have found ways through getting in touch with self and kind of calming the voices because I do race. My mind does race. I, I have energy that's limitless. You know, I just, I, I, I never sit down. It's kind of annoying, I think, to be around sometimes. You know, I, I say to like my friends, they come visit me and stay at my home. You know, they're like, do you ever sit down? I'm like, isn't it terrible? Like, no, I never do. And so I had to start to uh, find peace and tranquility um, or I should say, I had to, I had to stop and find happiness in peace and tranquility. And I found that my drive and my hunger to, like you said, never stop and always look for the next thing was maybe covering some things up. And that was something that I needed to look at. Like, was I uncomfortable with myself alone? Was being busy, always looking for the next thing, uh, was that somehow shielding uh, me spending time and focusing on me and some of the work that I needed to do on me. And I think it was a mix of both. A, I found out it's who I am. I'm just a hundred miles an hour and I, I get uncomfortable when I sit still for a long period of time. And I've now accepted that that's who I am, but I, I have also had to find beautiful growth and solace and quiet and silence and doing nothing. And I used to think that I was failing if I wasn't moving quickly and I wasn't gobbling down as much of life as I could, that I was failing. Isn't that a terrible thing that I used to think that? Yeah, I can completely relate. But do you think it was almost um, a FOMO? Like you just didn't want to miss anything. If somebody told you about something and it had passed you by, did that used to make you anxious or make you agitated? Only with my own opportunities. So I, I didn't ever have, I don't really have FOMO for missing out on a party or things like that, I never really did. But I definitely had FOMO of missing out of an opportunity that was presented to me that I didn't grab onto. Right. And so I think sometimes I grabbed onto the wrong things. And if I had just waited a minute, maybe it's the right thing would have come. Because I do think that we are on a path or, or a trajectory that kind of sends us in a certain direction. You know, like yours was, you know, journalism and, and kind of beauty and fashion mixed into one, but then really turned into people and the experiences that you had with people. So you got where you're supposed to be and nothing really changed that much. You just went left or right. So I believe that like my trajectory is right, but I think that had I been more patient and a little less hungry, you know, and driven that maybe I would have latched on to the right opportunity at the right time. And nothing's ever wrong, mm -hmm. but maybe I caused my own struggle and I caused my own situation. I made my own situation by not slowing down and thinking a little bit more. Well, Cause there's that expression, isn't there? Um, what's meant for you won't pass you by, but it feels like you were just kind of there with nets going, I'm gonna try it all. Well, when I started my business, Yummy, so in the fashion industry, you know, my, I guess my, I guess my first understanding of my drive was when I was working for Puff. I didn't really know entirely what I was made of until you work for Diddy. 
I don't give, there was a whole show about it, you know, like go across the Brooklyn Bridge and get me like a piece of toast or whatever. You know, he would have these, you know, musicians that wanted to be in a band or something do for him. It was like almost like boot camp. You know, he made Puffy made, you know, it was a TV show. It was funny. If, if you ever have time, you can watch one episode of I Want to Work for Diddy. Right. It was, I can't remember what network it was on. But I've watched a lot of reality TV and I cannot believe that, that has passed me by. Yes. So that was a good one. And it was great for me. I never watched a lot of it, but I watched one or two episodes just because, you know, he really is who he is. Like, even when you watch him and get it to get him to the Greek, the movie he did with Jonah Hill and right. Yeah. Russell Brandt. I mean, he really plays himself. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's, you know, really funny. So sorry, I digress about Puff, but there's a lot to talk about with him. But he really showed me how much I could handle. He showed me how much I could take on my shoulders and still keep trudging up the hill. And looking back on that, that was an incredible gift. Really was an incredible gift, how hard he drove. You know, he, Puffy was never abusive with his drive. He just, his expectation was high and he didn't mess around that it was high. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have a problem with Puff if you delivered. If you did your job and you were on your game, he was a great person to work for. So now, we're going to come back to Puff in a minute. But what I find really interesting about your story, only because I feel like I can draw some symmetry with my own, is uh, women who grew up in the countryside, not in the big city, who were drawn to the big city and kind of found themselves in the epicenter of exactly where they wanted to be. And, but you also worked since you were really quite young, like from the age of 13, did you always have, I mean, clearly you always had a very strong work ethic, but where did that come from? Just my parents, you know, I was, I was raised in a, you know, I would say lower middle-class situation. You know, my parents didn't have much money. Uh, My dad was like a door-to-door salesman. My mom had to wait tables to help make ends meet. Um, I was a latchkey kid at one point in my life where the one parent had to leave for work and the other one wasn't home yet. And I have a few stories that happened during those times. <laughs> <laughs> I can but, imagine. Uh, yeah. So I really wanted to work right away because I wanted things in life. You know, there were things that I wanted that I knew I could only get by earning my own money. And the biggest thing was a car. So mm-hmm. that was my freedom to have a car. And my dad thought driving was a skill. So he taught me how to drive very early. So from the minute I was, could reach the pedals, I was driving. When I wasn't sitting on my grandmother's lap or his lap, learning how to steer, understanding the velocity, the, the weight of the car. I mean, they really taught me how to drive at a young age. Um, and so I would steal cars. They didn't really, I only stole their cars, but like, when they would go to a friend's house or something like, you know, I would steal the car. My mother was the one that I always stole her car. It started with just backing out of the driveway. And then it started with like taking a joy ride around the block and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. But I really recognized very early on that that car was my freedom. And so I want, I bought my first car at 15, just waiting to get my license. And I did that through working. So it was an escape, I guess. You know what I mean? I don't know. It was my freedom at that time. It's that sense that you knew that you wanted to go places always. Yes. That working was the only way to get there. Yes. That's what it was. And my parents encouraged me to work. And, you know, it was a little bit easier for me on one sense. My mom owned a breakfast, lunch, and dinner restaurant. Mm -hmm. 
And so at 13, you could get working papers. Mm -hmm. And I was going to work at The Hub, which was the name of her restaurant. But right across the street from The Hub was our movie theater, our local Copac movie theater. And it was so old. It was so cool and old. And it was since burned by an arsonist, unfortunately. But the popcorn stand was outside. It wasn't inside. That was a day when they were like two different structures. And so when I started to think about working and working for my mom, serving soft serve ice cream, she said, well, maybe you should go across the street to Alan Lampman and see who's running the popcorn stand this year. She encouraged me actually to my first job to go have a job with a boss that wasn't her. And I did that job and I loved that job. And then I came to work for my mom after I proved that I would show up on time. I proved that I would do the job. And then she hired me and I worked for my mom. So I worked for her in the restaurant business. Okay. And so what was the transition? What was the journey to then working in the big city with all these incredibly famous people? Yeah. So I um, graduated from college and very confused about what I wanted to do in life. I knew I wanted to make money and I knew I wanted to be in a leadership position, making decisions and making changes in the world and making the world a better place. I had no idea what that really meant though. Mm. Um, you know, we were, I don't know, women, it was, it was a very, when I look back at it now, you know, it wasn't the seventies, you know, we weren't like, you know, raising and, and rallying as much as we were. There had been some assimilation maybe of women in the workplace. And then I think like in my coming up, we were just in this place that was half accepted and half you had to be comfortable with things that were uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was a weird time really because Me Too hadn't happened. You know, the 70s and burning of the bras had kind of like, you know, softened. And it was just such a wild world of, now that I look at it now, I knew in my head what I wanted. I wanted women to be more powerful. I wanted women to have stronger voices. I mean, I grew up with that Navy picture in my house with a woman with her arm up, you know what I mean? With the yeah. bandana on, you know, my mom, was busy raising children. So she wasn't like marching with Gloria Steinem. She had two little kids at home, but her messages and how it affected her and what she felt about it definitely permeated through me. And when I look at it later, I wanted to be a woman who made a difference. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredibly powerful. And when you think about where your story is now, when we, just before we started recording, I said, you know that you have a really inspirational story. You're incredibly inspirational. You said that throws up a lot of emotions for me that it never used to. Would you mind elaborating? Yes, yes because um, by doing a good job and by being recognized for doing the good job and continuing to move forward and evolve yourself in life, if that's inspiring to someone that I wanted to show that you could do that, you know, you could do that. That you, if you really set your mind to it, you can truly do or be almost anything you want to, aside from limitations. Like I can't be, uh, you know, a mathematician. I just don't, I, I'll never be a mathematician. So that would be setting myself up for failure, right? But it doesn't mean I can't learn my way around a P&L <laughs> and understand how to build a business, right? So you really can be anything that you want to be. And I found that uh, my... I guess biggest gift was to recognize without ego early on, without knowing it, that I would surround myself with people that were better than I was at certain things. And I wasn't afraid by that, or I wasn't fearful of, of that. And so I was just always inspired by people who 
showed up and did a really good job and were happy. There was a lot of people that showed up and did a good job, but they weren't happy. And I wouldn't even say they did a really good job because they treated people like crap or, you know, I, I learned a lot of how to be a good manager from bad managers. I didn't have a lot of examples, shining examples in my life of what to do, but I definitely had a lot of shining examples in my life of what not to do. And so when I was finding success and I was finding, you know, an identity and building a name for myself and people would say that inspires me. I thought it was really wonderful. Later in life, it became a little bit of baggage to carry for me. Um, it's almost like when I worked for celebrities, I was never a yes man. I always tell them the truth. I, I would always be very honest, like, no, it's not good that we missed the deadline. <laughs> it's not okay. You know what I mean? Like it's a bad thing. And, and other people around celebrities oftentimes will yes them to death. And I found that as I grew in success, people that were around me that were saying that they were inspired by me or encouraged by me were actually not being honest with me. They were um... yesing me to death. And I missed the dialogue of the olden days when we were all just trying, squirrels trying to get a nut and you could be inspired you know what I mean? By that hard work or that work, work ethic of hitting the mat and failing and getting back up and trying again. Um, and then that change when you hit a certain level of notoriety, that changed for me with the people in my circle, like my circle around me. And so I feel like sometimes it's a double-edged sword mm. because when you inspire people, they can get on your coattails and ride on your carpet so to speak. But, you know, there comes a time when then you have to say, Hey, Hey, you, you get off of my cloud, <laughs> you know, and you want, so I, so I think that sometimes when we say that someone inspires us, I think that we have to understand why mm. and how do we want to use that to our benefit? Um, because sometimes it can be a burden for those who inspire. Does that make sense? It totally does. It totally does. That idea that you, if you're an example to somebody, you want to be an example of somebody who, who works really hard, sets goals and achieves them. And the fluff around all of that and, oh, you've made so much money and you're friends with dinner. That's the thing that's not what you want the, the attention for. Yes, that's exactly. Thank you for saying it that. And it makes me actually uncomfortable now. And I, you know, so I want to dig deeper a little bit on that because uh, when you are inspiring people for reasons of loft, as you say, it's a long fall down from there. You know, I mean, pedestals are not a place that I like to be put. And so I think that I like that I inspire people, don't get me wrong, and I want to keep inspiring people but I really want to inspire people to be better people. I want to inspire them to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. You know, I don't want to be a know-it-all. I definitely want to lend my wisdom, like Andy said, in the best way um, through my life experience. Like, well, this was my story and this is what happened to me. And then you and I had a conversation on my podcast where you would then lend advice to your friend, you know, that said, you'd say, this is my story. And then you'd give them your advice. And then you'd be waiting with bated breath to see that they took the advice and actually moved themselves forward, propelled themselves forward. I feel the same way mm -hmm. that now I have to 
I have to shut off the, you know what I mean? That stream of information and share what I know. And then it's up to them. So I feel like it's to take it forward. I feel like I took being inspired to people as like a job that I now was responsible for getting them to the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, did it make you feel as though you'd made it? Was there any, or was there something else that made you think, actually, I, I have made it. I have reached my goals. Never. That's the, I'm, I'm a terror. I, I've never reached my goals. I never pat myself on the back. These were things that I'm starting to now in my aging, in my, you know, as I got older at 48 is when I really, I mean, I had said to people, like, I don't really pat myself on my back for my achievements because I don't feel like I'm there yet. I haven't made it to where I think success is. And then I had to start to really question, how do you, how do you view success? How do you mark success? And I was marking it for all the wrong reasons. I would never have gotten there. Not in, not in a lifetime, not in a hundred years would I ever have the success that I was marking as success. It was unattainable for myself. And so I never had that moment, but now what I do do is I do look at my journey and I am proud of the accomplishments that have come out of pain and struggle and suffering. And I'm not as proud of the things that kind of came easy. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I applied for my very first job in New York City. I, it took me three months to get one. You know, I was sending resumes out and I was sending resumes out. And then when Calvin Klein called, I like took the interview and I got the job and off I went. And you know what I mean? So like, but working at Calvin Klein was very difficult for me. You know what I mean? That was like a huge reality check on all kinds of levels coming from the country, you know, small town girl walking into Calvin Klein collection was a big reality check. Um, and so I don't, I don't, I'm not proud of the fact that I got the job when I wasn't nine heads trained, like everybody coming out of FIT and Parsons, but I was proud of the lessons I learned on the job and how I then played that forward in my life. Those are the, those are the things that I'm proud of. And that's how I now measure success with growth. Ah, I like that. So let, but let's talk about opportunity because you just mentioned getting the job at Calvin Klein and maybe on paper, there were people who were more qualified than you, who were more of an, who were a more obvious fit, but it was you, but let's talk about what happens when you get an opportunity and then you run with it and make it work because clearly you made it work. I did, but not at Calvin Klein, you know, at my, 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 I met a lot of great people there and I learned a lot of lessons, but I came into it really bold, which is a good thing, but I was a very big mouthpiece, you know what I mean? At a young age. I mean, I directly had a line with Calvin. I, you know what I mean? I just, I just like, I was hungry and I was uh, a hard worker and I was not intimidated. Like right. I never grew, I, I didn't have that intimidation factor in me. I would just go for things. I don't know. Maybe it was, I was born that way. I don't know if my parents necessarily taught me that. Um, I think it was just something innate in me that I just, I had a good, I had a good level of self-confidence. That's all it is. I had, I had healthy self-confidence as a kid. I sometimes look back at my early days in my career and I was, I was like you, I was quite bold and I was outspoken. And I think if I'd known then what I know now, I would have kept my mouth shut. 
I should have kept my mouth shut. No, I should have kept my mouth shut at Calvin Klein. I would have learned a lot more, but everything happens for a reason. You know what I mean? I got fired from Calvin Klein because of my big fat mouth because, um, and I got fired for the wrong reasons, but it was a really good learning curve for me because back in the day at Calvin Klein, there was some rules. And one of the rules is you didn't, you didn't talk in the elevators. You know, it was like, you didn't, when people got on, you didn't talk about business and you didn't talk shop in the elevators. And there was this one boss of mine that worked there and she was a cold fish, man. I could not break this girl. And so I kept trying to break her and she just wasn't nice to me. I think she maybe didn't think I was qualified or whatever it was. And funny enough, she had come into Calvin Klein out of the retail world, which never happened. Wholesalers didn't hire retail. And this woman had come from Bloomingdale's. And so there was a lot of things like Calvin didn't like, like you can only use like natural or, you know, very natural nail polish. Like there was a dress code. And this, this, this person would show up at Calvin Klein with like bright red nail polish on it. And it would drive him crazy. It would drive him nuts. He couldn't stand the nail polish in the meetings. It was distracting to him. Um, and so I thought that I, if I, and he would embarrass her over it sometimes. So when she jumped on the elevator, long story short, she had this really great jacket on that knew that season out of collection and her eyes walked onto the elevator before she did. And I said, oh my God, that jacket looks amazing on you. Your eyes walked in before me. What an amazing, you know, jacket that is on you, the colors and everything. You look beautiful today. I got called to the office for talking up to management in the elevator and I was fired. Now you think that's why I was fired? No, I didn't get fired for that. But that was the reason. And you know what my response was? And Ernie Buffalino was the guy at the time and he was the one who fired me. He doesn't remember the story the way I do, but (laughs) I said, well, and he said to me, you come from a small town and we do business differently in the big city and you know, that sort of thing. And I said, well, the small town that I come from, I was raised that if someone looks beautiful, you let them know because it boosts their confidence and it makes them feel better. And if she can't take my compliment and she has to come and complain, then I don't belong here. And I left with no money in my pocket. Like I had zero money. And speaking of you and I have spoken about your, you know, struggles with weight and things like that. I gained 15, 20 pounds. I swear to God, when I worked at Calvin Klein, I mean, I got, I got, I did not get skinny at Calvin Klein. I got fat at Calvin Klein. Right. Because the hours were crazy and I was just trying to, I was navigating a city and, you know, I had enough money for ramen noodles pretty much. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like if you haven't lived on ramen noodles. For <laughs> you a, haven't for lived. A, yeah, like you, you didn't ever do the grunt work. I don't know. So, but okay, this brings us really neatly onto something that we have previously discussed, but it's failure because getting fired, I, I personally think, Anything like that at the time is obviously hideous. The worst thing that ever could happen. (laughs) But it's the kind of thing that you learn so much from. So in the context of failure, do you look at the failures in your career, that being the first, obviously, Mm -hmm. as being the things where you have then been able to experience the most growth? And to your previous point, you now measure success as growth. So a failure and success completely intertwined for you. 100%. I don't think one exists without the other. It really, really doesn't. Um, You know, I'm so grateful. I'm still in touch with some of the people that I work with. You know, Jackie Blue, one of the designers who I'm so, like, no one really got it. I don't think anyone really got it. 
Um, there could have been a plethora. Now that I've been an entrepreneur and run my own company, there could have been a million reasons. Sometimes you just need a reason. You know what I mean? Um, but if I had stayed there, I, I would not be who I am today. My life wouldn't have taken the trajectory that it that it took. And I landed one of the best jobs you could land, in my opinion, like trying to be a designer without a design education. And I got hired by Calvin Klein Collection. You know what I mean? So I thought, well, God, that's like the most amazing job that you could get. But it really wasn't for me. You know, I wasn't really, I wasn't, that wasn't my path. I and I probably wouldn't have succeeded at Calvin Klein because it was collection. I had to go get scrappy. So by being fired, it forced me to get scrappy. And so I went and I like forced myself into jobs and positions and doing things like that I really wasn't comfortable with, like really designing, sketching full collections without any training and sketching and putting those into resumes and sending them out. And, you know, I just, I thank God I have a God given, you know, talent to draw. I got that from my dad. My dad was an artist and a bit of a savant. He could kind of do a lot of things without training. And I'm, I, I'm, an, I'm very artistic. I'm very creative. I'm very visual. And so I used that asset that God gave me. And I worked my ass off. It took me six or seven days to put the packages together, which would have taken another designer that was trained six or seven hours but I learned and I taught myself how to sketch. And then I taught myself how to sketch quickly and fast. And I learned, taught how to do line drawings. And next thing you knew, through my hard work of, of practice, I became as experienced as someone who had just graduated from college. It's like the, uh, the um, Goodwill hunting store, isn't it? Yeah. Do you like them apples? <laughs> That's right. How do you like them apples? And you can do that, people. I Obviously, it's the, not the easier path. If you know what you want to do, I say go study it and learn it. But when you don't really know, go with your heart. Yes. Go with so what true. makes you, when you ask yourself the question, do I love that? And how does it, when you think about that thing, if it makes you tingling and excited, then stop at nothing to get it. So did you feel it was um, the draw to fashion and what you ended up doing? Was it just, did you even have to think about it or did it draw you towards it? Or did it you drew have me. to, yeah. It drew me, I knew. And it was funny because it didn't drew me, although I love fashion and I love fabric so much and I love textiles and clothes and all that stuff. I really more than anything love um, the outdoors and activity outdoors, being an athlete. So I was never good enough athlete to be, uh, you know, I got a degree, I got a scholarship for soccer in college, which I never took, I never used it. Um, so I was athletic and I was good at athletics. Um, and that's how I found fashion because after I graduated from college, I was working at a ski shop because I was, a, you know, skiing was my life. I mean, I skied like every single day that I could. Um, and so my mom gave me the very good advice early on in life that I didn't even realize how important it was that I used it for the rest of my life. And that was, if you don't know what you want to do, go towards something that you love. That's what my mother told me. And she said, you love skiing. So you don't have to just because you graduated from college and you have a bachelor's degree doesn't mean that you now have your life map and everything's going to fall into place. For some people it does. And for many, it doesn't. So just go toward what you love. And I went to the ski shop just to get a job, to make money, to pay for my car. <laughs> and um, 
I learned there that I wanted to design ski clothes. I learned there that, that what had shifted for me was being out on the mountain doing, you know, instructing and racing wasn't as important to me as the clothes I was wearing. Like, what was I wearing in, uh -huh. you know, skiing? And what, and, and I realized that I really loved, and I couldn't afford them. I couldn't afford the racing pants with the pads on them and the spider gear. My parents didn't have, everything I had that was skiing was all hand-me-downs. I didn't have my first new pair of skis that I actually were brand new until I graduated from college and I went to that ski shop and I got a pair on Proform. That's the only reason why I could afford to buy a new pair of skis. My children have never had a used pair of skis. You know what I mean? It's like a totally different scenario. You know what mm. I mean? So I went there to just make money and I wound up making my life out of that one decision. Well, it's really interesting because I think we can often think that life is a very obvious step-by-step, -step. like you'll know what the next thing is. And so sometimes, and I've been in this position where you're confronted, confronted with not knowing what's next, it can be quite paralyzing. But I think that's a really lovely way of looking at it, of just go towards the thing that you love and yeah. then the next step will make itself available. It will, it'll appear, it'll happen, you'll figure it out. And it do doesn't mean it will be easy. Doesn't mean that the path will be easy, but at least you can see the path. You can see the path. And then the path will take, sometimes there's a tree in front of your path and you've got to make a right or a left. This is life. Yeah. But as long as you know the mountain you want to climb, at least have an idea, take the step, man. Pack oh. the bag. <laughs> and also you're somebody who I think of is there's a lot of momentum around you. There's a lot of speed, like you're always going in a direction. And it makes me think if you stop and think too much, that's when the paralysis happens. Just keep moving. Is that one keep of your moving. mottos? Yes. And that's why you said, you know, I, I slowing down to meditate was the very uncomfortable place for me. That's a hundred percent. Why? Because if I overthought it, I'd be scared to death. Mm. If I, you know, I mean, everything I did, like even as a kid, like stealing the car, do you know what I mean? If I didn't just get in and turn the key and worry too much about the repercussions, sorry. I, I think we always have to worry about repercussions, but like, you know, you, sometimes you just have to take the risk and sometimes you just have to, you know, take the bold way. And then it will, like, there's a reason why it's driving you toward that. You know, if, if, as long as there's not a bad reason for doing it, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's always, what's my intention? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if your intention is to like, you know, steal your mom's car because you want to piss her off, or if your intention is that you are, need to feed your adventure, my mom couldn't be that mad at me. You know what I mean? Like she just explained to me how dangerous it was and why. And then what she did is she took me driving. She didn't scold me and slap my hand. Mm. So I think that, you know, if you have the right intention in life, if your intention is genuine and you follow your heart, you shouldn't overthink anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to just run toward it, run as fast as you can toward it and don't stop. It makes me honestly like tear up to say that. Yeah. And trust your heart because your heart's yeah. not going to steer you wrong. It won't. And neither will the universe. It's not there to break us down. It isn't. It's not. I don't believe that. You know, we're not, we're put on this earth, I, you know, through some of the readings and the, the spiritual readings, it's called Earth University. We're here at Earth University. And when we die, we go back to our advisor and they tell us how we've done. We did really good with 
relationships, you know, you did really good your career, you know, maybe we want you to work a little bit harder at career, you know, things like that. Like, and then they send you back down to Earth <laughs> University and you don't ask any questions. You just start over again. Life is a cycle. And, you know, the human mind and the human body, I mean, if you really want to, I mean, I love some of the, the specials you can watch on Netflix and stuff about all the answers about why. I can't think of the name of the show right this hot second, but <laughs> it's a show that it's like all the questions that you have, like how the brain works. Oh, like, uh, yeah. I think you know I've seen. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that one. You know it's the I thing mean? I've looked at and then thought, oh, am I ready for that today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 So I've been very long winded, rounded way. I'm sorry, but. I think that you can't overthink too much. You have to like, you know, if the tree falls in front of your path, you have, you know, you either have to turn around or you have to figure out a way to go over it. Mm -hmm. That's the only thinking that should be had in life. You know, yeah. which way do I go? When we overthink too many of the things like opportunities that come our way or failures that have, you know, happened before us or that have happened to us, if we stay in those places and overthink them, then that's where you stay. So let's take us back to uh, Sean Puffy Coombs. Yes. I, I, I don't know what I should probably call him, sir something. You get to call him Puff. <laughs> um, but uh, you said this Mr. Up. Mr. Combs is what everybody calls him now, Mr. Combs. Mr. Combs. Um, <laughs> You said that that was, he challenged you or that job challenged you from every angle. Every was that, was that one of the early jobs? Yeah. So after Calvin Klein, um, I really, I really submersed myself in denim designing. So the denim is unlike any other fabrication in fashion. It really lives on its own. It finishes on its own. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like denim you know, wool isn't like it, cashmere is not like it, but wool and cashmere could be alike, right? right denim right. really is on its own. And so I wanted to specialize. I figured without formal training, if I became an expert in something and I really love denim and I felt like with my country background and the fact that I love the outdoors and things like that, I wanted to learn denim. So I got a job at a denim company. And I literally submersed myself in denim design. I learned finishing, I learned fabrications, I learned how de denim was woven. I, I learned everything you could ever imagine about denim and I became an expert in it. And I worked at Polo Jeans Company. And uh, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a private, it was a company that was a denim manufacturer. And they had the Polo Jeans license among other licensees, like other big names and other small names like big JC Penny private label business, you know, so it had the top and it had the big box. And so it had a lot of learnings for me. And that's really where I learned costing. So I learned, yes, I learned to be an expert in denim finishing and design, but I actually started to learn costing and how, when you're putting a product together, you know what I mean? How to cost that product and have an idea of what you're selling. And so that's where my right and left brain really served me mm. because the businesswoman in me that I had already always wanted started to kick in. And it wasn't important for me just to design beautiful things or things that pleased me aesthetically, that fulfilled the process, fulfilled me. But it was important then for me to see it on someone's body walking down the street. And that's where, you know, a lot of designers stop at, you know, their creative beauty 
And then, you know, if they get really snotty, they can be like, well, if they don't understand it, I don't know. Of course it didn't sell because they're all just idiots. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I really am only kidding. But, you know, it wasn't, that's not the designer I was. I really wanted it to function. Yeah. And at, when I look back at it now, I mean, I started a, my, my, my first business, my first real entrepreneurial business was a functional product. Totally. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it now, you're like, everything is happening the way it's supposed to. I feel as though you might be the sort of person who takes things apart and puts them back together again, because you just need to know how the inner workings function. Yes, I do. And I, I always told my children that, um, they had to know to know how to play an instrument. They needed to learn a second language and they needed to be able to take apart and put a machine back together before they could leave my house. <laughs> Those were the three things I wanted them to do. That's <laughs> to know how to do it. Because especially as women, when it comes to like automobiles and stuff like that, stereotypically, you know, obviously very stereotypically, I just want to turn the key in and drive and sure. But like, if something really happens, like to have any cognitive understanding of, you know, what might be wrong, like having some sort of, well, maybe I'll just try this versus like, that's way too overwhelming for me. So I thought by being able to put together and take apart a machine that my daughter, my son, I wasn't worried as much, but you know, the rules were the same, mm -hmm. wouldn't feel as intimidated by machinery as I was. Like I really was. Yeah. And I still am really computers and all that kind of stuff. I'm just not technical. Yeah. And so I, my fear I put, I instilled in some sort of proactive way with my children. We'll yeah. see if I actually stand through. On <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you about, again, it's a little bit of symmetry and I don't want to project onto you, but you worked with Puff, with Tina Knowles and Beyonce and with uh, one Jennifer Lopez. And not just kind of for their companies, you worked with them to help them create their brands. And so I have two questions about those experiences. First of all, what it's like to work with people. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. People who have already achieved a pinnacle of success and now, and so you see people who are so, so successful who are now trying something else. Does that rub off on you? Do you get to absorb some of that success and how they've achieved it? Unbelievably so. And I'll tell you the biggest, you know, kind of like open window, if you will, where I really saw and understood celebrity or certainly my celebrities, Jen, Beyonce and Puff and Tina and, you know, um, they're the hardest working people that I know. 
So success, they're like, I guess there was a, a kin that they also, and I haven't, I, I would love to have these conversations with the three of them. Um, I maybe have had it the most with Jen, but if you slow down, then the fear kicks in. If you overthink, mm. you know, you realize where you are and maybe some of that exists for the three of them as well. But what I, I it was easy to have a strong work ethic because they did. Mm you know, they really did. I mean, they never stopped working and, and, you know, triple threats, like working on, you know, two or three or four different things at a time. And I guess I had the gift of multitasking and I have a brain that, you know, fires quickly and I could keep up. And so, and then I became an asset, you know what I mean? I became an asset to them where I was reliable. They knew that if I said I was going to do it, I was going to do it. If I said I was going to be there, I was going to be there. And I followed through on my promises. And so do they. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about is it can be quite an intoxicating environment being around very, very famous people and not just being around them, but having an intimacy with them, like having a friendship with them. And you've also talked on this podcast about the uh, being yes to death. And I feel like maybe you got to enjoy that intimacy because you are somebody who tells them what they need to know, what, not what they want to know. Yeah. I think that people that still that, yeah, you know, are yes men, you know, or yes women around, uh, you know, very successful, you know, high, very, you know, notable, notable people. Um, they can still be around them and they can still have the access, but I don't think that they really get the benefit mm-hmm. of that person because challenge is how we evolve and succeed. And if everything's okay all the time, you know what I mean? I don't think that that's honesty. I don't think that that's truth. So I think that that's actually more of a disservice to that individual than it is necessarily to the collective effort. Because listen, all three of them are highly intelligent people and they know when someone's bullshitting them and they know when someone's bringing something to, to the table and it's up to them to question that person or just go find the answer somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that there's probably a little bit of a balance of that. Um, but my, my intimacy with, with all three of them and my, you know, unbelievable, uh, like I'm so humbled by that, the opportunity and what we did together. So we were all coming up, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I worked for Puffy G's, it's like, you know, almost 20 years ago now. You know, I mean, we were just in our thirties, both of we're the same age. Um, We were just in our thirties. Jennifer and I are in the same age. Beyonce is several years younger than me. So she was the first person I ever worked for that was younger than me. Like my boss was younger than me. And that was like one of those funny things because I, you know, not that it mattered at all, but I can understand it. That was the first time I could relate to you know, the old school, someone a little older and then had to get a job and work for like the younger person. I mean, this was like before millennial or we even heard of the word millennial. Um, but I remember that and thinking that that was really cool. Like one day it came, cause me and Jen and Puff were all the same age. So we were peers. Mm. So it really, I think it was more impactful for me when I realized that, you know, Beyonce was several years, my junior and that I was going to learn a whole lot from her. And that I could teach her a whole lot. And then I had obviously Mama T, you know, Tina Knowles, who is, you know, my ultimate teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're working on something that's new and, and young and hungry, and all three of them were startups for them, you just, 
all are in it for the same reason. And so I think the situation that we were in also lend to the proximity that I had with them. I mean, I was Puffy's like second or third hire in his entire company. So we were just a small scrappy team. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't work at, you know, I started Sean John, you know, today, if you walk into them, there's, you know, a sea of employees and, you know, it's a big old company and everyone calls them Mr. Combs. <laughs> you know, that wasn't, that wasn't my experience with them. And so I was part of their grassroots teams building their brands from the grassroots. And so I leaned in at the ground level with them. I'm really curious if you get, if you look at the diary or you are reviewing your calendar and you think the last few weeks have seemed quite manageable, seemed quite easy. Is that a warning sign? Is that a red flag? It used to be. Hmm. It used to be for me only because what happened was my life took a traje trajectory that didn't stop. You know what I mean? I went from, you know, designing Calvin Klein to Ralph Lauren, like learning denim into working for Puffy, into working for Jennifer, into working for Beyonce, into getting married and had, well, I got married with Jen. I had both my kids with Beyonce into starting a family and then starting my own business, launching my own fashion company. And it, nothing ever stopped. Everything was moving on a trajectory that was great and everything was great until it, and then I got housewives and then I was on the housewives. So I got used to living at 150 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I like got clotheslined literally. Okay. Riding through the forest on my dirt bike at, you know, as fat I'm using it as a, uh, I'm using it as a, um, metaphor. Thank you. I'm using it as a metaphor. I was driving my dirt bike happy on my trails and someone put a clothesline across two trees and it caught me in the neck and knocked me the fuck off my bike. And that was my experience with my partner at my yummy at my company. Right. And so moving so quickly and going a hundred miles an hour, um, you always have to take pause and, 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 and just take a minute to like check everything and make sure everything's working and, you know, functioning. And I was so used to working so quickly and moving so quickly that when my then partner wanted to do yummy with me, I took his yes and didn't ever look anywhere else. Right. I just took his yes. And then we went on and I started building the company. And so your question basically is like, if I slow down, um, do I feel that that's failure? And I did when it was a forced slowdown. Mm -hmm. So I didn't slow myself down. I was forced to slow down. And then I had to assess the world around me and I had to look back at the path and the journey. And I had to see some of the carcasses along the way do you know what I mean? And I had to see some of the ugliness maybe that comes with, you know, a trajectory like that. And then I had to examine what type of life I wanted to lead mm -hmm. and how I wanted to lean in. Now that I was, sometimes when you get knocked off your bike and you have to lay down and you get the wind knocked out of you, it's for a reason. Yeah. And so I had to take a little bit of note about what was around me and what my relationships were like and how, what kind of parent I was and what kind of wife I was and what type of inspiration I really was. And so I love the fact that I got knocked down, that I could really take the opportunity to 
make some changes in my life and redirect my life. And I think that my redirection is really, I'm on the same path. I'm just trying to be a better person. I'm trying to slow down and smell the roses because you know what will happen is you'll, you'll look up and you'll wake up one day and life is like a lot of it has passed you by. And, you know, I, I have a lack of memory. I've, I've missed a lot. There's big gaps of my life that I don't remember really. Mm-hmm. And my friends will remind me, Oh no, we were here. We were doing that. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I have zero recollection of it unless they brought it back up. And why? Because I was fucking buzzing through it at a million miles an hour. I was never really present. Mm-hmm. And so you can be a hundred miles an hour as long as you're present in each moment. You know what I mean? That you have some sort of like, I remember someone saying to me when, when John and I got married, like take one second to just like acknowledge what's happening around you because it will be gone in a flash. Yeah. And I remember that analogy and we did do it and they were right. And now I take that analogy. I, I dug it back out of the bookshelf and I now take that analogy in life with me. Am I taking a moment right now to really think about what's, what's happening in life, what you've accomplished in life, where you're going in life. Even the way I'm talking right now, I'm a hundred miles an hour. Well, on my own podcast, I have to slow down and stop. And so that people are, are gonna miss what I'm saying or I'm gonna forget your question. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like this is what happens when you move too quickly. Yeah, I, I can completely relate to that. I feel like I don't remember age 30 to 36. It's wild. And so when I, and I've got a birthday coming up. So I, so I think about the fact I'm turning 43 and I think back and sometimes I think, I can't believe I had my thirties. I don't remember. Yes. It's, it's, I don't like that feeling. You know what I mean? But I love the way that you look at it because you, I mean, you talk about getting clotheslined and obviously you got kicked down and it wasn't just that you got kicked down in work. It made you actually reassess everything. It sounds like and that can feel like the earth opening up and swallowing you and it can feel gross, but it sounds like, I love the way you've reframed it as it was an incredible opportunity for me to move forward much more positively. Uh, the worst time in my life really was the best gift because I'm alive. I, I didn't lose a limb. I, you know what I mean? Like the worst that happened to me was I learned very difficult lessons. Mm. You know what I mean? And even when I look back at, you know, the business and, you know, the undoing of, of the business of yummy, um, I still even I judge myself and say, what could you have even done better in those situations? Could you have avoided, you know what I mean? Where you wound up Mm. and I wound up selling my business. I wound up, you know, moving away from my partner, selling my business. I literally walked out the door. I stepped down um, as the president and, and, you know, chief creative officer and namesake and all of that stuff. Um, I literally walked away and it wasn't hard to walk away because it had gotten so toxic that Mm -hmm. I, I knew that I wasn't fulfilling my life in any way. And I wasn't fulfilling anybody's and I, I needed to move on, but you know, and, and, and I did that without thinking, and I'm glad I did. Cause if I had thought it too much, maybe I would have done something different and I did a hundred percent the right thing. But the, the, you know, two years after that, the turmoil of being in a lawsuit and being in courts and, you know, trying to buy back the business, buy the business outright and with someone who didn't need to sell it and certainly didn't want me to have it, mm. you know, it was a, a lot of that. And so I just had to like, let my hands go and say, 
that was a chapter of my life that I'm very proud of. I started a business. I had an idea. I patented it. I turned it into an amazing business and people still wear the product. I mean, this business, although it's much smaller than when I was there, I mean, they're still keeping it running based on the foundation that I built. So I built a really strong foundation and I'll do it again. And I sometimes will even make the same mistakes. I'll find myself. That's when I call it a mistake. You know, we have habits like our DNA. It's almost like marrying the same type of man twice. You know what I mean? Or marrying the same type of women twice or taking a job that you just left, you know, because you're going to do something better. We have these like, I don't know, behavioral patterns that we can find ourselves in that rut of mm -hmm. making the same mistake again. And when I do that, and I have done it, I really try to understand why. And then mm -hmm. I try, and then I ask myself, is it okay that I'm making that mistake? Like, is that a comfort level for me that is okay for me to be there? Or is it more of a challenge? Or do I need to do some work so that I don't fall back into that pattern? Because mm -hmm. there's never really necessarily an easy answer for, for those things in life. You have to work through them until the, or, you know, the answer, if you really are honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's Mine is usually cause I'm, I'm moving too quick. Yeah. I want to hurry up and get it done. I was like, I have the idea now and do the idea. So <laughs> I don't bet the partner properly. Potentially yeah. I could say. I also feel like you are somebody who isn't afraid of making a mistake uh, or, or things going wrong because you trust yourself to react in a way that will pick it up and pivot. Yeah, right. Exactly. That I'll, you know, I'm self-surviving, you know what I mean? That I, I can make it either way. It's like, you know, I, I, everything to me is a metaphor for the mountains now, everything, because it really was my saving grace. I mean, you know, go falling back on my athletic roots after working in fashion and, and most living in stilettos, you know, I changed out my closet you know, for some good treaded flat soles. And, you know, I gave the Manellos, you know, and the Giuseppe's break. And I really love what I found there. Mm -hmm. I really love what I find when I let mother nature in and I get dirty and I hug trees and I touch rocks for grounding. And I allow my mind space outside like you do just to listen to the birds. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw, I used to, especially because I was training for the New York Marathon, I always listened to music when I worked out. But really when I was training for the marathon, I had a, my playlist was really important for the long miles that you ran. I, ever since running the New York Marathon, I don't listen to any music when I work out at all anymore. It's silence. I don't even turn the TV. When my children, like right now, I'm home in the country alone and the kids and John are in the city. I haven't turned the television on one time. I live in silence. When is no that new? Around. Is that new. yeah? Totally new. Because there's so much noise, it's my time for self-preservation, for letting my mind run, seeing where it takes me, and then knowing what I want to push out, knowing what I want to focus on. So you, I've been spending some time in the quiet. Are you quite mindful if because you say you know your mind goes at a hundred miles an hour? Are you quite mindful and you think I've thought about this a lot today? That means I need to pull at that thread. Yes. A hundred percent. That's what I've learned to do through meditation. Mm. I've learned to quiet the noise enough to listen to myself and then either push out the stupid things like self-doubt or those types of things, or focus on it. Like if you want to like drink less and lose the weight right now during COVID, then do it. Mm -hmm. 
And by the way, I do allow myself to talk about things for a long time before I do them. I had uh, my girlfriend, Courtney Novogratz on, and you know, she had a different scenario where she says, hold your, your biggest intimacies, your biggest secrets, you know, that you want to do for yourself very close, because if you start to share them and then you don't do them, it's like, you know, that's not so good. And, you know, maybe that someone would consider as failure, a lot of hot air. I, I talk about them because then I could not do them. Yes. You know what I mean, Same. for me, it's almost like a keeper of my, you know, intention or my truth. You know, if I put it out there, well, then I got to do it. I did a thing on this podcast in 2018, every two weeks, I would either make or break a habit. And part of the reason of sharing it with my most excellent listeners was accountability. I'm going to try this out. I'm going to be the guinea pig and I am being accountable. I will report back to you in two weeks. I love that. I don't know, just personality, I guess, trait wise. Um, I don't know how people can walk through life making all kinds of promises they never keep or laying down, you know, all kinds of ideas that they never follow through on. I must be a pretty lonely, unfulfilled life of denial. I mean, really. But I feel like that means that you're, you know that your words carry meaning. And for someone who is constantly moving at 100 miles an hour, it means that the things that you do say, you don't say, you're not just thinking out loud, you're speaking with intention all the time. I really am. And I, and I weigh my words really carefully. Like um, I said, and I, I'm going to have to Google this because I, I said once on my podcast that I think I was an I'm, I'm existentialist, but I don't know if you can call yourself that, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that because I think I'm all so wise. It's not like, I, you know, I'm a very deep thinker. Andy said he's not, you know, on the pot, Andy's not a deep thinker. And mm. my husband doesn't, he also says that, you know, he's like, I really, I really think very deeply about things and I, I balance the sides and I weigh them a lot. And if I don't have an answer, I keep, I'm very curious. I keep searching until I find something that will satisfy that, that need, that hunger, that need to know or have mm. an answer to it. And and I, and I love that. I love that piece of me. I wish I had more time. I, I but I, I think I'll write or I, I, I mean, I look at life now and I'm so excited about how wonderful it is that you can have, you know, career after career, you know, like even the word career is weird. Like, you know, you can make money doing things that feed you and serve you and also provide some type of service or, you know, beauty for somebody else. And, if it's one path your whole life, you're a doctor and you went to school and you became a doctor and you help people and you're a doctor your whole life, that's a beautiful thing. If you are a, you know, journalist and, you know, said weekly newspaper, you know what I mean? Like columnist and interviewer, and then you turn into your own podcast. Like, So you've talked about um, fitness being really important to you and about how you were quite athletic. And I sometimes talk about the fact that, um, you know, you build muscle, which means you have to tear it. You have to do damage in order to grow. And it's a challenge. You have to put your body under stress and under challenge. And I feel like when I asked about the diary, if everything looks a bit easy, whether you're constantly looking for challenges because you are always looking for an opportunity to grow. Yeah. So I am now finding solace in um, a not busy week. And I'm, I have this whole list of things that I want to get done or I want to do. And some of them aren't fun, like cleaning out the front closet. And some of them are 
you know, labor intensive, but they're going to provide me a beautiful spring, like working on my garden a little bit more and prepping the beds a little bit more. And so having, I used to just carve out those times, that time on the weekends, I had like two days, you know, during the week to get things done that I, that feel, fill, fill my heart also. And so now when I have a, a week that's not busy, I used to look at that as I was failing. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't, there was like, nobody's calling today. Like I got nothing going on. Like I went from, you know, being scheduled from eight in the morning until eight o'clock at night to, you know, two or three phone calls. Well, what I realized is that's a normal day for most people. Mm -hmm. Like I was jamming an unbelievable amount of stuff into my life and into my world that I literally was leaving me without memory of some of the things that I had done. I was moving so quickly. So now I actually look at that as a beautiful balance of life and work and loneliness and, you know, solitude. And, you know, I, I really look at it each week as a blessing for what it is. Yeah. If it's a busy one. I'm happy. It's busy. If it's a slow one, I'm really excited that it's slow. And Just appreciate everything, no matter what the form is. I live in the moment. I really try to live in the moment. And I don't, I definitely have old bad habits. Like I'll look at the agenda and, you know, I'll speak to like one of the people on my team. Like we have like six things. Like when are we getting this shit done? You guys, like we have a lot to do and I'm looking, it's like, we only have two conference calls and we have, and oftentimes I'm right. And I needed to push a proverbial frame, but there's also times when they're like, no, 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 we got it. It's, you know, next week and we're waiting for this or whatever. And so, you know, I, I've stopped causing the alarms. I'm no helicopter manager, but like when I was dealing with my own self-worth, you know, I started to realize that I was projecting some of my own insecurities on things and you cause then issues or you make something that's not really a big deal. Mm -hmm. So I try not to still not sweat the small stuff. And the other thing too, is I really, um, I totally require happiness around me. I really do. I really require it. And if you're not happy, I, I call my business, like I, I say, it's like Walt Disney world. <laughs> you know, we are an open enough team that when there's an issue and we need to speak, we should let people know that we need to speak. But if it's just normal, like stupid little baggage, like, you know, you forgot to pick up your prescription and, you know, like life stuff, like show up here. Like it's Disney world. Yeah. When the gates open for the day, put the smile on and bring happiness to the table mm. because I just don't have, if we're not going to talk about it, you know what I mean? Then, yeah. then until you're ready to talk about it, it's not my problem mm -hmm. and it's not the team's problem. Let's talk about evolution because right now, I mean, you've talked about yummy and obviously that's, that's happened. And now you've moved on and you've started other businesses. Like you said, you went, you went back to school. So yeah. obviously not that there was a shift in priorities, but there was a shift in interest. You took a real interest in nutrition. That's right. And I was, um, at the time I went back to nutrition school, I was a full-time housewife. I was running a business, uh, a multi-million dollar business with, you know, double digit direct reports and a partner I didn't get along with, mm -hmm. which was very toxic. And I had two young children at home and I had a passion and a curiosity for nutrition that had to be filled and there's no right time to do it. You know, when am I going to fit it in? So I knew I might fail 
at the degree, I knew I might not achieve it. I might not be able to actually finish the coursework and do it, but I wasn't not going to try because mm-hmm. I really wanted to. And I, I wanted to stop reading a lot of diet theory because I read like every book I wanted to, you know, to start really learning about nutrition. And so I went back to school and, um, it all happened for a reason. I, I went back to school, not because I thought I was going to have a career in nutrition or I was going to move into the health and wellness space. When I started Yummy, I named the business because I have a lot of interest in a lot of things. The nomenclature for that business was going to be anything. It could have been, you know, with a name like that, it started in shapewear, which was encouraging, but it moved into denim and ready to wear and active wear. And then of course, with my own journey with the gym and stuff like that, not only apparel, but I wanted to get into wellness and food and all that stuff. So I I always, my brand always was going to speak for who I am and the things that are, you know, interesting to me that I felt like there was a white space and more information or more something needed to be done. And so when I sold yummy, all of that remains still of who I am. And so I just turned it into, you know, HT cup and, you know, the Heather Thompson company and under that umbrella now gets to live a lot of different things. And they, they don't necessarily have to all bear the same name because I am the nucleus that holds them all together. So, Mm. so, what I did is after I sold my business, um, I had a non-compete in the fashion industry as part of the deal. And I, 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 was st- I had graduated from school before I stepped down. And so I just submerged myself into that category and out of it came Beyond Fresh, which is a organic food supplement brand that's there to, I mean, I could show you one of the packages. It's like, if you ever thought of Heather Thompson and her pack, packaging, you might, they might not match, but there was a need to educate people about nutrition mm-hmm. and about good food. And my, um, my path to do it, hold on. I want to show it to you. Sorry. That's my, I want to show you the packaging. My path to do it was to direct consumer sales. Mm-hmm. So if you can read that, it yeah. tells you exactly what it is on the front of the package. There's All no in one superfood formula. Yep. All in one. And then it tells you in the ingredient deck is all right there on the front Wow. what's in it. And then all on the back is all kinds of information about, so it's a very, you know, it's a very busy package, but it's a direct to consumer model where when they get it home, I want them to read it and I want them to know it and get, get, you know, used to it. So I loved launching beyond fresh on television because I could use my knowledge and I could, you know, take out some of the guesswork and break it down to like the ABCs of nutrition. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people didn't even, you know, like, what is this microbiome I keep hearing about? What is this new, you know, this gut health and like leaky gut? Like, I don't know what that is. So I tried to break it down for people and it became really, uh, it was a labor of love. I wanted good, healthy, clean food to be attainable and affordable and understood by everybody because going to the farmer's market became trendy and shitty food. Okay. Like, you know, the farmer's market was like fringe and, and, you know, trendy and like shitty processed food was mainstream and accessible to everybody. And I wanted to flip the switch on that. So this is my dollar meal. (laughs) at my amazing shake. And so I was able to, to do that. And then obviously 
skincare is important to me and taking care of myself and my own trials and error and errors with skincare that I brought Rossuticals to the table for, you know, cold press natural alternative to skincare. And with those two brands, I built the Heather Thompson superfood show, mm-hmm. which, you know, can be a brand of mine that I've curated and, and designed or, you know, come, come up with. Or it could be another brand that I love, that I believe in. And as an entrepreneur, if you can't do it better or do it less expensive, you know, then why do it? You know, I don't want to create a bunch of businesses just for the sake of creating businesses, but I do want to be um, a resource for people through my own experience and my own trial and error and my wisdom at 50. If I can share with them products that I think are good for them and good for their family, that's what I really love to do. And so that's what I've been working on for the past four years. I think that's what I was uh, saying at the top of the show, or maybe it was in our previous conversation on your podcast is it really feels as though you are a sponge for information and you are, uh, you are a heat seeking missile for correct information. Yes. Not a big fan of misinformation, Mm -hmm. but the thing that you do in whatever capacity it is, is I was saying, you send the elevator down, you're like, this is everything that you need to know. And then your passion for nutrition, you have shared it and you've tried to make it very uncomplicated because as we know, you could go online and search for nutritional advice and you can come up with a whole load of garbage. Mm -hmm. And it's this real, you have this real um, authenticity about you, which is I'm going to get the answers and then I'm not going to come with any more problems. I'm just going to give you the solution. And that seems to be a real motivating factor for you. It definitely is. And I think I've learned along the way, and we've even talked about that you can bring the horse to water, but you can't make them drink, which is one of the reasons why I actually stopped consulting. I mean, when I first stepped down from Yummy, I was very heavy in consulting. I was doing a lot of consulting. And we talked about this when, when I would give people, you know, real knowledge and real tools to move their business forward. And then they wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. It affected me to the point where I felt like they had weight, even though they had paid me, I felt like it was a waste of my time. Yeah. Total waste of my time. And I couldn't get over, you know, so now I like to give free advice. You know what I mean? As much as I can, you know, I'm doing a Q and a on Hollaback and I'm trying to give, you know, as much advice as, as I can. Um, but yes, I want to give people the tools of information that work for me. And by the way, it's not a one size fits all, you know, scenario. What works for me may not work for you. And even what works for me now may not work for me in two years from now, you know, we're ever changing and evolving. And as long as we remain, you know, flexible, and dynamic in our outlooks of, you know, what works and what doesn't. And we're honest with ourselves. I mean, we can make this place a lot better. We can join hands and make the world better than it is uh, today for tomorrow. And, you know, right now, like one of the things that is buzzing around my head, which I just can't get over. And it's so funny because with the election, I'm hearing now experts in the field say these things, but I talked about the Trump administration being the Windex administration, I used to call them. And because, you know, it was so much controversy, obviously, over Hillary Clinton election and Trump and he won. And now this. And I always from the time that Trump got elected and, you know, a lot of people that I knew were very unhappy about it. And then there were people that I knew that were happy about it. And I started to recognize all these things about people that I thought I knew and didn't understand. So to me, it was the Windex administration because the world that we're living in right now is extremely clear. And there is no 
no, it's only black and white to me. There's mm -hmm. no questioning that there are certain people in this world that are really important about really focused on their financial situation and the economy of scale, right? You know, for the world and our country. And then there are other people that literally would throw that away just for, you know, human rights and, you know, people. And that's the great divide. I don't think we're divided by policy. We are divided by values mm. in our country right now. And one of the things that bothers me the most about that, and, I, and I, I, the way the news has changed, is that when you turn on a news station, you literally are getting opinions now. We're so partisan now in the country. And the Democrats hate the Republicans so much, and the Republicans hate the Democrats so much that we're not even talking about issues that are important. And I think that it's a very difficult seat to sit in as an American who's just trying to be informed, even with the information superhighway out there. Because really, you can Google whatever answer you want to get. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? You're not necessarily getting information. You're getting a lot of opinion. And so I'm putting this out there because maybe someone knows how to do this. I think that we should start a website or the US government needs to have a website that literally is like the State of the Union about truth and fact and not opinion. I mean, we can literally, the, the leaders of our nation can literally say and do anything they wanna do. They can let's say whatever they wanna say and it's out there and there's, there's nothing. So I, instead of having the fact checkers, like during like a debate speech, like after the speech is over, yeah. You know, I feel like there should just be a website 24 seven. That's like, this is the state of the union with, you know, our international policy. This is where we are. We have the following bills are in Senate to be passed. These are the promises that this administration made and this is what they delivered on and this is what they didn't. Like there should be a place for Americans to go to get fact, real true fact. And we don't have it. Isn't, oh, I, I haven't actually looked on it and I don't know enough about American politics to even tell you if it's the right thing, but isn't there a website called A Starting Point, which is trying to do something like that? Well, I, hopefully there is, because that's why I'm asking about it, because that in, in, in mixed in with the fact that we don't have American history literally you know, taught in our schools from kindergarten through 12th grade enough. Like I know my experience and I'm looking at my kids who have a private school experience. I had a public school experience, you know, and they are getting the best education. You know, we're not teaching the history of our country from kindergarten through 12th grade, the good, the bad and the ugly, all of it, the truth of our, and, and you can't teach it in one semester. You know, we, we move on from American history to obviously, you know, European history and, you know, the Chinese and, the, you know, all the dynasties and blah, 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 blah. And I think we should learn all that. We have to learn all that. But every single day that a child is in school, you know what I mean? For the months of year that they're in school, those five days a week, they should be taking American history, pop culture and politics because we're not, we are in fear of politics. We don't understand them. We don't understand so much about laws and how they're passed. And so you ask about the fires that I get. These are the, this is a new fire for me. Yeah. And so I'm, I just talk about it out loud. God forbid there is a website and I hope that there is. I mean, I've, I've searched and Googled and I just haven't found one thing, but that's why I'm talking about it because if someone's doing it already, let's go all look, lean into that. Yeah. And if they're not doing it, then maybe it's an idea that someone like works in that industry, like wants to do, 
or maybe there's a lot of barriers in the way to actually get that done. Like, oh, it really sounds easy, but you can't because of this, that, and the other thing. That's all just more, more information, more uh, tools for our tool chest to move forward in a better world society and country from, from you know, my perspective. And the people that really believe in Donald Trump really believe in Donald Trump and the people that really believe in Joe Biden really believe in Joe Biden. But for me, it's more values than policy. And when you look at how it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a washout, mm -hmm. our election. You know, there's a lot of people in this country that voted for Donald Trump and really believe in him. And so that's the part of the country I feel like, and same with the people that believe in Joe Biden, like the partisanship of our country is really now our poison. And it, and you want to do something to yes. do put that right. And I do. I wish I could, and I wish I could plug into you. I'm very glad that I have your email address, and I'm glad that you have a podcast where I can plug into you all the time because you make me feel a lot better about some of the things I've been criticised for in the past. And genuinely, my like in my family, I am called a meddler, and I genuinely come from the position of if I see something, even if I'm not an expert in it, if I see something and I think it could be better. I will hammer home the point of let's do it better. And that's got me in some pickles in my life. Has it yes. got you in pickles? A hundred percent. I've been called, I mean, definitely. I mean, the housewives isn't something that you can, even though it's a reality show, it's not necessarily steeped in total reality. Um, but on a show like the housewives, if you have a lot of wisdom or a lot of life experience, you're a know-it-all. Mm -hmm. And if you see something and want to say something, you're a preacher. Mm -hmm. Those were the, I was labeled as a know-it-all and a preacher. And, you know, in real life, those are good things. Yes. You know what I mean? When you're know-it-all about all the right things. Like I'm still, I, I have a lot of open to listen and I've learned and practiced at being a good listener because I'm, you know, very fast. It's not because I don't want to listen to people. It's just that I try to, I move on very quickly. And sometimes I'd finish people's sentences. Okay, yeah, totally. I know when that happens, you know, and I've, I've learned that that's not very kind. And, you know, we all like, you know, we all drive at different, you know, speeds. Yep. And we all still get there. It's the rabbit and the and the and the, the turtle and the hare. But um, I really do believe that if you see something, you should say something. And mm. not to just be a problem maker, not to stir the pot, which is also a housewife's trait. Like, come drop the bomb and then walk away. <laughs> no, but I want to drop the bomb and stay. Mm -hmm. And I want to listen to, you know, what that did. And I want to hear how it makes people feel or what action it, it, it ignites in people, mm -hmm. you know, or, or the fears it ignites in people and they cower to their own corner. I mean, that definitely could have happened. Or I know not could have, that definitely happened in, in the election and in, in our government today is that people have just checked out. Mm -hmm. It's so toxic and so ugly that they've said, I am not even going to deal with it. I can't even deal with it. And that to me is the biggest danger, right? You know, complacency mm. is the biggest danger. And, and, you, and you definitely come from the place of if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. It is. And, you know, if you fall and stumble and hit barriers, it means all the more work needs to be done. And it's the reasons for that. So I don't know the end of, I don't, I never know the answers to all the questions I have, but I, I definitely keep looking for them. And I have this conversation about the education. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that this will get feedback mm -hmm. and that people will say, no, there is. And, or I wanted to start one or, you know what I mean? There isn't. And I, sh we should be starting one or, you know, just 
it's like the obvious things, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and talk about, you know, our international policies with, you know, China, but I can, from a very commonsensical place, see some of the holes that we have mm -hmm. in our education system and in the information that we're getting as citizens. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know, I, I know you're not here, you're there across the pond, but you guys have, your, you have the same stuff, you know, it's all democracy, hopefully, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And in, in that there's partisanship and it's almost like a diet theory. The guy who thinks juicing is the best thing in the whole wide world. And that's all you should do really, really believes it. Yes. And that's okay. I'm vegans. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they really believe that, that, that their way would, Diet theory, I love the passion. I, I, I listened to so many lecturers, mm. you know, in school and the passion for what they believed was the answer was, uh, you know, permeable. I mean, it, it hit me, but I had to then say what works for me and what doesn't work for me. And I could take, you know, the goodness of, of their passion and some of the, the things that they taught me and I could take them along in my tool chest. And then you start to open the tool chest and you realize tools that you're not really using and the ones that you keep going back to. And we don't talk enough. We're not communicative enough. We're full of opinions and we need to have a lot more answers and truth and transparency and, you know, understanding and leaning in to our neighbors. And it's at a point where it won't take no for an answer anymore. I love this. And I have loved our conversation. I could honestly speak to you for several more hours and I know that neither of us will get bored, but, um, I really love as well the fact that this hunger for information, correct information, is something that you're pouring into the podcast that you're doing. It's so wonderful. And so obviously, in my heart is available on all good podcast platforms. And just remind listeners where they can find you and where they can plug into your endless optimism and energy. Oh, thank you so much. So you can follow me on social media at I am Heather T. Um, Facebook is my full maiden name, Heather Ann Thompson, before I got married. And um, heatherthompson.com is a great place to go for information to find out what's cooking at HTCO and all the things we have going on there. So, yeah. Because there's so much. Honestly, it's been such, 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 such a pleasure. And I will be tuning into In My Heart because I've already learned so much from, well, from that show. Thank you so much. And I love your podcast too. You're such a great wealth of information and I love you, the guests you have on and it's really exciting. And I know sometimes on, you know, podcasts are kind of new to me, obviously they're, you know, new to a lot of people. And, you know, sometimes I don't answer the question, you know, necessarily off the cuff because I find them to be so dynamic. Um, but if you get any questions or anything that I didn't answer from your viewers or, your listeners, please, you know, I would love to come back on and, you know, for the first time, I, I know it's very general, but we can also get specific. So I um, really did love having, being here. Heather, I can say something with extreme confidence. You'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really look forward to it. It's been a really fun afternoon. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you would like to get in touch with me, please do email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you would like to have a conversation with me but also thousands of other listeners to this podcast, then go to the show notes which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and click the link to join the Facebook forum. There are three questions and you do have to agree to the forum rules otherwise I can't let you in. But please do follow all of those rules and come and join us because there are thousands of us in there having some really useful, helpful and supportive conversations and it would be a joy for you to be a part of them. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.